News Weekly is an ad-free, listener-supported podcast made possible by teammates like you. Just go to patreon.com slash Shah. that's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H, to support the podcast, where you can get free tickets to my upcoming comedy festival shows in Perth, Sydney and Melbourne. That's patreon.com slash Shah. Top Stories of the Week! Asshole of the Year Award winners announced! Also, Pakistan forgot to pay its electricity bill. And man burns Quran, everyone totally cool about it. All that and more on Newsweek. Hello, I'm Sammy Shah and thank you for joining me as we punch the news in the headlines weekly. Of course, he's angry about this as well, news now. In a surprise to many, I have been snubbed yet again for Australian of the Year. This despite the fact that 2022 was the year I went waist deep into the ocean despite it being full of bloody sharks. Not at the exact point I was, but I mean, they're out there. I don't know why people keep doing this. Anyway, at this point, it's quite clear the awards are biased against me and the hard work I'm doing to make the life of the average Australian better. Still, the good news, if you're not me that is, is that many worthwhile people did just win awards for Australian of the Year. A body image warrior, a socially minded socceroo, an Aboriginal elder and a Sikh humanitarian. These are among the Aussies making the biggest difference in our country right now, recognised at the Australian of the Year Awards in Canberra. It's as always a mix of people with different backgrounds and experiences, all united in their commitment to make lives better in some particular aspect for everyday Australians. Which is something to be celebrated, unless you're a massive piece of shit. Like, say, former Australian radio host and newspaper columnist Mike Galton, who's proof that former radio hosts and newspaper columnists are the worst humans on earth. Uh, Last night it was a body image campaigner, Taryn Brumford is her name, she's from South Australia. Uh, She was named Australian of the Year. Now, Mike Carlton, uh, say no more, but he was out there with a pretty cruel dig on Twitter not long after her her announcement. Listen to what he said. Uh, He said, my Australian of the Year would be a doctor or a nurse working nights in intensive care or ED, dealing with COVID and daily death real compassionate work for very little money, not someone who makes a buck out of saying it's okay to be a bit fat, good night. Now, I couldn't read that tweet myself because Mike Carlton blocked me on Twitter once for pointing out that he shouldn't racially abuse someone. Taryn Brumfit, who he's attacking here, has spent many years teaching children with all kinds of body image issues, not just those who struggle with weight, but also skin conditions and disabilities, that they have no reason to be ashamed of themselves. Mike Carlton, on the other hand, has spent the last few years teaching everyone that he's got no ability to be ashamed of himself. And of course, what would an Australian of the Year celebration be without Andrew Bolt having some goddamn problem with it? But there are also rewards for people who've pushed the so-called stolen generation story, this uh, damaging false claim that racist officials stole tens of thousands of children just because they were Aborigines. Who still debates the stolen generation being racially motivated? There's masses of evidence from primary source documents proving exactly that the stolen generation was motivated by European Australians at the time who perceived mixed descent children to be, and I'm quoting here, a threat to the stability of the prevailing culture and everything necessary must be done to convert the half-caste into a white citizen. 
That quote is from Dr. Cecil Cook, the chief protector for Aborigines for the Northern Territory, who believed in breeding out the colour to uplift the morality of Aboriginal people, but apparently that's not racist enough for Andrew Bolt. Also, who the fuck still says Aborigines? It's considered so outdated and uniformly racist because the colonial connotations of the word last used in the 1960s when Andrew Bolt was last a man of the times. Bolt then goes on to fact-check the movie Rabbit Proof Fence in a way that he's never fact-checked any movie about a white saviour. He also threw a tantrum at Archie Roach being honoured for his contributions to music, then went on to write an article about how white males never win the award, even though the award went to Dylan Alcott last year and Dr. James Mechie in 2020. I guess Andrew Bolt and Mike Carlton won't be happy until they win Australian of the Year awards themselves, which, to be honest, I mean, I can sympathise with that. However, I am proud to announce they both get Newsweekly's Asshole of the Year Award, which they'll have to share, much like their bigotry. Are Royal Commissions meant to be this much fun? News now. The former Liberal Party government's legacy isn't just wanking on desks and covering up alleged sexual assaults while continuing to divert the nation's resources to Barnaby Joyce's liquor cabinet, it also oversaw Robodebt. Robocop. Who is he? What is he? Where does he come from? No, not Robocop. Robodebt. Although much like Robocop, Robodebt was also a scheme thought up by the government to serve and protect people but ended up causing more damage than good. Right, Robodebt is a computer system that checks how much people who are receiving welfare benefits should get. So it asks someone, what are you earning? And it compares that to tax office data that from their employer that shows how much they're earning. Then it looks at the two numbers, tries to match them up. If they don't match, it writes that person a letter and says you must repay a certain amount of money. Now the problem is there have been so many errors in the system in the last few years that the government is now having to refund people it incorrectly took money back from around 721 million dollars to 355 to 353,000 people now the problem is gosh it's great that they're getting refunded now but the stress and the heartbreak and the anxiety and the impact that had on many people's lives is a huge problem so the government's apologized but there's still a class action lawsuit about this that mild understatement by Seven News' finance editor Gemma Acton from two years ago glosses over the fact that there were over 470,000 wrongly issued debts, which the government then had to repay to an estimated cost of $1.2 billion. Some welfare recipients who were wrongfully accused committed suicide and many others suffered extreme mental health reactions. So it was about as competent as anything done by the last government, especially anything overseen by the former Attorney General, who doesn't know how defamation lawsuits work, Christian Porter. Since then, a royal commission into robo-debt has begun, yielding some incredibly satisfying moments, like when Scott Morrison was asked to testify. But it is a difficult system. I think and you were actually asked about directions or guidance to Ms Campbell. I'm happy to respond. We'll go right ahead. Mr Morrison, can I just get you to stick to answering the question a bit more? I do understand that you come from a background where rhetoric's important. First well, I think I think you're wandering a bit because all I'd asked was had you talked about it before you got it. Ah. Mr Morrison, please, just listen to the question. Mr Morrison, better if you just wait for the questioning. Oh, the General Counsel for Social Services under Morrison government revealed unethical practices. A government department practice of leaving external legal advice in draft form if it was deemed to be unfavourable. Which caused the Royal Commission Commissioner, Catherine Holmes, to react like this. It's like a child putting its hands over its eyes and thinking you can't see it. And most recently resulted in this glorious moment from the former Director of Social Services, Robert Herman. You adopted a course where you were not full and frank with the Ombudsman. I, I don't think that was my intention. 
I didn't ask you what your intention was. I said it's clear that you adopted a course which was not full and frank with the ombudsman. Yes. That's Royal Commission speak for were you a dirty little liar? Yes, yes I was a dirty little liar. The Royal Commission is going to continue with the coming weeks promising more revelations when it confronts Christian Porter. Former Human Services Minister and the guy who cheated on his wife with his media officer, Alan Tudge, and Rochelle Miller, who cheated on her husband with Alan Tudge and then claimed he was abusive towards her while she texted him up to four years later after their affair telling him she still loved and missed him. She was paid $650,000 settlement by the government and he lost his job over the affair and not over describing criticisms of robo-debt as philosophical disagreements and allegedly leaking the private health information of critics of the scheme. We all know how this will end news now. Things haven't been good in Pakistan for a while. Last year, the country was hit by the worst floods in its history, just prior to which the populist Prime Minister Imran Khan had been ousted from government by a vote of no confidence, which continued the long-respected Pakistani tradition of never letting a civilian government complete a full term in office. Imran Khan has been holding rallies across the country ever since while demanding a new election and recently spoke to the BBC. Imran Khan, the former Prime Minister of Pakistan, has warned the country could face an economic collapse if there isn't a general election early this year. Mr Khan was ousted in a vote of no confidence last April. He's tried to push the government to bring the elections forward. His critics say his efforts are adding to the country's economic issues. He's been speaking to the BBC's Caroline Davis. The only way Pakistan could get economic stability is through free and fair elections. Critics of Khan point out that the same tactics that undid his government are ones he'd employed against others, and his time in office wasn't exactly trouble-free. Defenders of the former cricket-turned-politician point out he does still have the popular vote, didn't get a chance to complete his term in government, and was possibly distracted by his multiple marriages and divorces. However, his predictions of economic collapse are proving as accurate as his bowling, with the current currency value of the park rupee against the dollar so bad you can probably pay for another wedding for Imran Khan with just a few dimes and cents. And then this happened. There have been huge power cuts across Pakistan after a breakdown in the national grid. It's left cities including Karachi, Islamabad and Lahore without power. The energy minister said electricity would be restored nationwide within the next 12 hours. He said it wasn't a major crisis. Backup generators allow many crucial services like hospitals to keep their power going. Services have returned in some areas, but Pakistan often suffers from power cuts blamed on mismanagement and a lack of investment in the infrastructure. 220 million people were left without power for one full day in a problem the energy minister described as not a major crisis. Which makes you wonder what the hell he thinks qualifies as a major crisis. In the end, the same energy minister admitted the nationwide outage happened because his government temporarily shut down our power generation systems overnight as a cost-saving measure and then were unable to switch it back on, quote-unquote. They literally tried to turn the country off and on again, and even failed at that. So, what solution does the Pakistani government have to this ongoing crisis? Well, the government has asked the IMF for a loan. The country already owed the IMF $6 billion from the 2019 bailout and is now asking for $1.1 billion more to be released, which, while it may not get, you have to admire the sheer audacity of. Still, Pakistan has to be given some credit. It's not like there's an established pathway of what happens to a developing nation that ends up in a severe debt crisis in this time. Six months ago in Sri Lanka, 
amid sovereign debt default and economic chaos, there was a revolution. Maybe if they try turning it off and on again, it might work this time. It's all so predictable, it's boring news now. Massive protests are taking place across Muslim countries. The reason for the protests isn't the deaths in Afghanistan caused by short-staffed aid agencies who no longer have access to women workers, or the millions of girls and women cut off from education by the Taliban government, nor is it the continued torture and killings of protesters in Iran who are still fighting for a simple right for women to not wear the hijab if they choose not to. No, the protests are over a single copy of the Quran being burnt in Sweden. In Sweden, the burning of the Quran by a far-right anti-immigrant group has sparked four days of violent clashes in a number of cities. At least three people have been injured after police fired warning shots at protesters in one, and elsewhere police vehicles and other cars were set on fire. So far, 17 people have been arrested. No, wait, hang on. That was the time they burnt a Quran in Sweden nine months ago. This time, the book burning happened a few days ago. There's outrage in Ankara and across Turkey for the second day in a row. Protesters furious at the Swedish government. At issue, the burning of a Quran outside the Turkish embassy in Stockholm. But this man wants me to go on and burn the Quran immediately. And I think that is a completely reasonable request. The man behind it is Rasmus Paldin, a Danish politician, the leader of a far-right anti-Islam party that has no seats in the Danish parliament. There were seemingly more police than protesters at the demonstration, but the fact it was sanctioned at all has Turks up in arms. So basically, an attention-seeking stunt by a far-right grifter. The best is to ignore it and focus on bigger issues. Instead, of course, Muslim men around the world have taken time out of offering prayers to YouTube videos of Andrew Tate talking about how much he loves rape and taken to the streets to burn flags and demand Sweden apologize, which it already has. The Swedish foreign minister has called the burning appalling, but a more blunt message in the window of the Swedish consulate at Istanbul. We do not share that book-burning idiot's view. The real reason, of course, is much more complicated. I mean, yes, the protests are definitely being organized by morons who don't understand the basics of free speech and ignoring someone who wants attention, but there's something much bigger behind Turkey's apparent outrage at this happening in Sweden. Sweden dumped its policy of neutrality after Russia's invasion of Ukraine and asked to join NATO. But the only way into the alliance? Approval from all 30 members, including Turkey. The Turkish government has given a long list of demands to the Swedes, including the banning of Kurdish groups that are outlawed in Turkey and considered terrorist groups by the US and EU, as well as extraditing alleged Kurdish fighters living in Sweden. The Swedes say they can't fulfill all of Turkey's demands. Turkey's Erdogan also has a good relationship with Russia based on his and Putin's mutual appreciation for dictatorial human rights abuses. Meanwhile, a large number of Muslims who get rightly offended if someone says all Muslims are terrorists because of what a gross generalization that is are now hating on all Swedes because of what one guy did. That's it for this week's edition of News Weekly. Like I've said before, if you join my Patreon right now, that's patreon.com slash Samisha, S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H, you will get two free tickets to any of my Perth, Sydney and Melbourne comedy shows. I'm doing a whole run of shows in Perth, Sydney and Melbourne. The Perth one starts very soon, in fact, from the 1st to the 5th of February. Um, Melbourne is basically all of April and Sydney is the last two days of April or so-ish. Those dates will be on my website, thesamisha.com slash shows, if you want to check those out otherwise if you don't want to join the patreon just 
buy the tickets. Tell your friends to buy tickets. Tell everyone to buy tickets. Why not? Let's all have fun. If you do come to my shows, please stick around after the show and say hi. I would love to meet News Weekly listeners in person. Otherwise, I'll see you right back here next week on News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly.